Welcome to episode 182 of the MCU Fan Show. My name is Sean Gerber, joined, of course, by Paul Herman. How you doing, Paul? I am very well. Very, very well. Yeah, I'm doing okay as well. I am very excited to be finishing up our Disney Investor Day coverage. It's been a lot of shows, uh, a lot of podcasts where we've been covering it. I think this is, I'm going to count now, one, two, three, four, five. It's like our seventh show covering Disney Investor Day 2020. But that's what we needed to do in order to cover all of the news that we had. So Mm -hmm. in our previous episode, 181, we covered the rest of the Disney Plus slate after 2021. Now we're doing the same thing on the feature film side. So these are movies that are coming out in 2022 or even later than that uh, from Marvel Studios. Now you can go back to episode 180 where we talked about premiere access versus theaters. But with these being movies that are coming out in 2022 and later, uh, these ones, depending on how things evolve from here, may end up having an exclusive theatrical window. And even the 2021 titles may as well. We'll see what uh, ultimately happens. But before we get started and breaking down all of these movies and what we've learned about them through the course of Disney Investor Day, just want to take a moment to let you all know that you can follow at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And you can also exclusive or access additional podcasts, exclusive podcasts at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R. So, Paul, the first film that we're going to talk about very briefly is Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Nothing Mm -hmm. really changed for this movie. The release date is still the same as it was prior to Investor Day, March 25th, 2022. And the synopsis that we had or the description from Investor Day was as follows. Uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness debuting March 25th, 2022 is currently in production starring Benedict Cumberbatch, Elizabeth Olsen, Benedict Wong, Rachel McAdams, and Chiwetel Ejiofor. Sochi Gomez joins them portraying America Chavez, a new fan favorite from the comics directed by Sam Raimi. The mind-bending adventure connects the events of WandaVision and the upcoming Spider-Man film. So a lot of stuff in there that we already knew about. Of course, Benedict Cumberbatch was going to be back. We knew about Elizabeth Olsen being Scarlet Witch, Wanda Maximoff reprising that role in this film. Of course, Wong, uh, Benedict Wong was going to be back as Wong. Rachel McAdams it had previously been indicated that maybe she wouldn't be part of it, but she is back as Christine Palmer. Uh, so that's a little bit of confirmation, but it was reported even prior to Investor Day that she was back. She would tell Edgy of four. Uh, he was, of course, expected to be back reprising the role of Mordo. And for Sochi Gomez joining this cast as America Chavez, we're not going to go too in-depth on that. We talked about that when the news originally broke uh, prior to the uh, prior to the confirmation from Kevin Feige during the Investor Day. We talked about uh, Sochi Gomez and just the emergence of America Chavez in the MCU. We talked about that back in episode 174 of the podcast. So it wasn't really that long ago uh, when we were talking about that news. We already knew that Sam Raimi uh, was going to be directing this movie and the connections to WandaVision. And the connection to the upcoming Spider-Man film is also fairly obvious. And we talked about how maybe that's a little different than it was initially going to be because before all these release dates were reshuffled, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness was originally going to be out before Spider-Man 3. Now it's currently slated to come out after. But the connection with the multiverse seemingly in play for Spider-Man 3, that just sets up an even deeper exploration of the multiverse in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. One thing we haven't seen, though, is we keep getting casting news from this, but it's really, I mean, we have people returning, and we have a new addition in Sochi Gomez, but 
with all these different announcements, we still don't have a new antagonist, Paul. I guess that would be my main thing for Doctor mm. Strange is what's not changing and what continues to not be changing as we learn more about this movie is finding out about additional an additional antagonist. We know that Mordo is there, and so I'm starting to wonder, is this because Mordo is the antagonist? Uh, we know it was headed that way based on the post credit mm. scene in, in Doctor Strange, but I was almost kind of hoping that would be saved for Doctor Strange 3, uh, and there will be another antagonist in Doctor Strange 2. Uh, let's be real. We've been wanting, I know I've been wanting it in you as well, Nightmare to be uh, to play yes. per, uh, perhaps some role uh, in this film. And maybe that's still in there and we just don't know about it yet. So uh, it, it's not like they have to give everything away in these types of announcements. So that may that type of information may still be yet to come. Uh, but still, I think this movie has huge ramifications, uh, uh, huge ramifications potentially on the broader MCU. I mean, how could it not with how many characters it's tying into this with Wanda Maximoff, with what's happening in WandaVision? Not that we know that Peter Parker or Spider-Man is going to appear in this movie, but the events of that film are going to touch Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. So this one feels pretty close to the center, if not the center of the MCU story. And 2022, I mean, this is where we really could start moving toward the next whatever it's going to be, you know, the next big or major crossover event within the MCU even if it's not Infinity War Endgame level, but like an Avengers or Age of Ultron level crossover event, maybe 2022 is where we start to see that uh, because at that point we're a few films into phase four. But either way, I mean, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be fun. I'm so excited that Sam Raimi is doing this movie. And yes, it's great to have it confirmed that America Chavez is on her way to the MCU sooner than later. Yeah, this is something that I think this movie is going to be really exciting. It's going to be, it's going to be bonkers. And I think that the closer we get to it, especially with Sam Raimi directing, it's, it's going to be just a really good time at the movies. I, and to be honest to me, Sam Raimi doing a Dr. Strange movie is why people should go to the movies in the first place. And hopefully that, that will be a very viable thing by the time he's making this uh, feature. And so and we'll go, uh, we've already talked a lot about this and we'll talk about a lot of, about this in the future. So I'll just going to say right now that this movie potentially has so much going for it. And as far as the antagonist goes, you know, I, I think you're not far off about Mordo and, and nightmare. Um, it, you know, it could, it could go either way at this point. I think the nightmare is probably a little bit of a stronger chance only because that he's the nightmare realm and that mm -hmm. transcends all the multiverses. Uh, at least I think it would. And I think, um, his relationship with Dormammu, you, are you proud of me, Sean? I said it correctly. <laughs> uh, I prefer Dormammu. I don't think there was ever anything wrong with you saying that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Actually. Someone else said that to me. And I was like, Oh, okay. Maybe yeah, I, I kind of miss Dormammu. Oh, well, you know, Dormammu can always make a comeback. All right. Uh, yeah, good, good. No, but I think that Nightmare and Dormammu might be able to uh, potentially work together against Doctor Strange and have these yeah. multiverses. There's potential there. So I think there's don't don't count Nightmare out yet. And I think that it's well, not only that, but it's Sam Raimi. The king, he's a, he's a master horror. Uh, yeah. You know, and filmmaker, so I mean, back when Scott Derrickson was doing this movie, he described it as the first scary movie in the MCU, not a horror movie, but first scary movie in the MCU. 
Kevin sure. Feige has talked about it being scary. He talked about it being scary again during the Disney Investor Day presentation. Mm -hmm. So when you're looking at a character like Doctor Strange, there are plenty of antagonists who would fit the bill as far as making things scary. Mordo, in his own way, could make things scary. But I feel like, I mean, Nightmare is pretty obvious uh, just by the name, even if you don't know the character uh, sure. of how that character could make things scary in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, but not the only one. I mean, character like Mephisto, if that's stuff from WandaVision, if there's any of that going on in WandaVision that could extend over to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So there are a lot of things we just, you know, a lot of wild cards here. And I feel like even though they're willing to give away certain things, and I, I think that's part of, it almost feels strategic to let the cat out of the bag that America Chavez is is debuting in this movie because obviously there's a lot of excitement and anticipation around that character emerging in the MCU, but it's also that kind of thing of, you know, they give us these little things like, well, not little things. They give us America Chavez. They get, they've given us Wanda Maximoff being in this series. So they've kind of been able to give us some big announcements for this movie, but that's probably also allowing them to hold on to other things that they don't want to give away in this movie because they're occupying our attention. But then there's still nerds like us who are on the lookout for additional info. So we'll see if we find out anything more about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I'm sure we will uh, in yeah. the months to come. Uh, but the next thing we want to talk about is the next movie that's on the slate. And this one did change as far as its release date. So this was originally going to be out in February, but now Thor Love and Thunder is going to be in May of 2022. And here's what we got from the official description coming out of Disney Investor Day 2020. Thor Love and Thunder opening on May 6, 2022, begins filming next month, so that's January, with director Taika Waititi at the helm. Chris Hemsworth, Natalie Portman, and Tessa Thompson return to their roles, joined by Christian Bale, who portrays villain Gore the God Butcher. And it's not all just Disney Investor Day news. It's been reported by the trades that Chris Pratt is going to be back as Star-Lord in this movie. Pom Clementiev, who plays uh, Mantis in the MCU, she's hanging out quarantining in Australia. Why does she have to quarantine? So she can go to set and play Mantis in Thor Love and Thunder. So the Guardians are going to be in this movie, which is no real surprise to me, Paul, because where did we last leave Thor? With the Guardians on the Benatar at the end of Avengers Endgame. So I'm still... I'm not totally buying into the idea that the Guardians have a major role in this movie. Agreed. I think that at the most, they could have like bookend supporting roles in this movie, but it almost feels like... Well, knowing Taika, I don't think he would have them just to like drop off Thor and be like, see you later. So maybe yeah. like an opening, maybe they get the opening action scene with Thor, kind of like Thor taking down Surtur at the beginning of Thor Ragnarok Ooh. is kind of what I'm thinking action wise. And as guardians of the galaxy team up to kick things off, but then something, you know, has uh, something draws Thor's attention elsewhere, but I just can't mm. see the guardians having a massive role in this movie. When you do have Thor <laughs> Odinson, Chris Hemsworth, Natalie Portman as uh, the mighty Thor, Jane Foster, Tessa Thompson as Valkyrie, and you've got a, a heavyweight villain, uh, not so much in terms of the character in the comic books, although Gore, no disrespect to Gore in the comics, he's awesome, but a heavyweight yeah. as an actor, Christian Bale, coming yeah. in and, and playing this part. So I don't think the Guardians are going to have a massive role in this movie. I think it will be a little more than a cameo. Um, it might even, as I said, have some action, uh, but I, I'm going to slow my roll on, on my Guardians expectations for Thor Love and Thunder, which is fine because what I'm really excited about 
are the main characters that I would expect in Thor Love and Thunder. And I think this really works well as a May 6th release date for Marvel. I mean, Marvel has proven now at this point, doesn't matter when they open a movie, does not matter. Doesn't matter the month, doesn't matter the season, doesn't matter. They can open a movie in May, July, February, November, whenever they want, and it will make a ton of money because people really like these movies and and Marvel does a good job of continuing to earn the audience's trust over and over and over again and can just continue to est- and just continuing to es- establish a reputation with uh, with the audience but May is still kind of that flagship release date that's where it all started uh, with that first weekend in May with Iron Man back in 2008 and I know they moved up a week uh, a couple times for Infinity War and Endgame into the last weekend in April but still Marvel kind of owns that first weekend in May And the Thor franchise is bigger than it's ever been going into the fourth movie because of Thor Ragnarok, but then also just how much audiences loved Thor. Well, Ragnarok got it going, but then how much audiences loved Thor in Infinity War and Endgame. I've expected that this movie is going to be massive. I mean, before the pandemic, and now we don't know what box office expectations are really supposed to be, even on the high end, I would have said Thor Love and Thunder is a lock to make a billion dollars. I got to wait and see if we can even say any movie going forward is a lock to make a billion dollars. I don't know how that works going forward, but uh, prior to everything, I just thought that it would do well. So whatever movies are doing, whatever the high end is of how movies are performing, once things start to get back to normal, Thor Love and Thunder is going to be on the high end uh, of movies. And I think it's because the anticipation for uh, for this movie is going to be so great. And the expectations that I have as a fan are really way up there. I mean, the comic book version of the Jane Foster Thor storyline, the Mighty Thor storyline with Jane Foster having to, you know, being worthy of wielding Mjolnir and wielding it in a way that Thor, even Thor Odinson never did or never could. And she's out there being a cosmic superhero while at the same time, her being Thor is nullifying the cancer treatment that she's receiving as mortal Jane Foster. So she's literally killing herself in order to protect people, in order to save people. It's such a beautiful storyline. And Natalie Portman did mention uh, Jane Foster having cancer in an interview. So that's fair game at this point. She mentioned it publicly, and it's there in the source material. So how all that unfolds, we will have to see in Thor Love and Thunder. But it's got, I mean, you know Taika is going to be funny. You know it's going to be wild and crazy and entertaining. But what makes Taika's movies and the very best of Taika's movies so special is the heart that he brings to it as well. He really knows how to find the emotional through line in in those stories uh, that just gets you completely wrapped up in it. And so all of that is going to be there. Um, And I'll I'll shut up for a second because then I'm going to have to go on for a while about Christian Bale as Gore Gore the God Butcher. Yeah, this is something that I think that I I, I knew he... Obviously, I think Christian Bale is going to play something that's monstrous. I just, it just seemed, it just seemed right with the, you had the, uh, the bull, I forgot his name, the businessman bull that Dario Agar. Yeah, Agar. The the Minotaur. Yeah. Yeah, the Minotaur. Yeah, Minotaur. I couldn't remember the the name of that mythic, mythic creature. Um, yeah, like I, I just felt like right for Christian Bale, this big person, you know, to be this big actor to be Mm -hmm. this like monstrous thing, you know, that way you don't have to have it have him be the, you know, Hey, it's Batman as a, uh, you know, as yeah. MCU, whatever. It, it just felt right as Gore, the God butcher. There's, 
it, it this is a very intriguing film because Gore the God Butcher is is a newer character, mm-hmm. and but a fan favorite character very very quickly and obviously even Taika himself modeled uh, Hela after his powers and now to be honest I don't think you know you can you don't have to worry about the fact you can have him have similar powers you could say that maybe she emulated that because or whatever you know retcon whatever reason you want into yeah. that maybe she inherited that or well in, his powers go to another level than anything she used so true yeah, yeah like got, like yeah. she used it she used powers to be able to just kind of conjure really sharp weapons but that was the extent of it gore does a lot more than that yeah exactly so all that being said i i, I think that this this movie is going to be a very it, to, to be quite honest, Sean, I think this movie could be what also bring a lot of people to the theater. You know, it would say if it's a grad, it's a very gradual thing leading up right. to this movie. I, you know, as far as, you know, theaters are just having, you know, some moderate success, nothing like it used to. This could be the first movie that makes people want to go back to the theater and go, well, it's been a while. Maybe I can go back to the theater now because I could see it being the first hundred million dollar opening after yeah, the pandemic. Yeah, thank you. Exactly. That's where I was getting at. Was the fact that this could be the first movie that people actually go, "Oh yeah, we have to we have to go see that this weekend because it's got The Guardians, it's got Thor because even my in-laws like Thor Ragnarok and they are they've had I think they've seen only like one other like Marvel film. Not even that. And my wife is not a fan of these films really. I mean, she loves Ragnarok and she keeps talking about Korg. She's like, I love Korg and me. <laughs> um, so, uh, which they are they're great characters. Not going to lie. Uh, but this is, but this is some, this is a movie. And, and I think right now, and has so much goodwill that it could, it could bring that back with, with time. Not if it came out, what, what in black Widow's spot, it's not going to do anything, but with time behind it. Right. I think this could be the first big opening for a film and it maybe rekindles the fire of, of movie fandom. And and after, cause it all it takes is one movie, Sean, all it takes is one movie totally. to change people's perception of, Oh, it's safe to go back to the movie theater again. Like even if it's already safe and they just don't do it, it just takes one. And if it takes, and those, those people go, yeah, I miss going to the theater. I'm going to go back next week when I go see, I don't know, enter whatever ridiculous drama movie comes out, you know, that weekend. I don't know. <laughs> well, it'll but, be May, so it'll be another blockbuster a couple weeks after Thor. Right. So I think this this could be an important thing. I think that if movie theaters can just survive, I think there's, I mean, obviously there's so many movies coming out that are, are you know, Star Wars and Marvel and DC and all these different things. But I think this Thor Love and Thunder could be the first big movie that that rekindles the love of going back to the theaters again because of all of everything you've got Natalie Portman you've got the Guardians returning you've got Thor you got Taika Waititi you know a huge name like that you've got Christian Bale joining the MCU it's probably going to look insane right Uh, so yeah I think this is going to be a big deal in my opinion I think so too I I think this is going to be massive again I I don't really know what the expectations need to be but whatever they are you know relative to the box office and in the exhibition industry at that point, like this is going to be the high end of it. And maybe something will get a hundred million dollars on an opening weekend domestically before Thor love and thunder. I mean, there are other Marvel movies ahead of it. And if they are delayed slightly, maybe they could still do a hundred million dollars. Although, I mean, maybe black widow could, but not if it stays on May 7th of 
2021. I don't know about Eternals, maybe, but I mean, we've got to see how what the response is to the marketing for that movie, although I know I'm really excited about it. Um, I mean, of course, Spider-Man movies have historically opened very, very well, but I don't know if December 2021, that's part of the thing with Thor Love and Thunder. It's not to say that the anticipation for this movie is significantly greater than the other MCU movies that are ahead of it. It's the combination of the anticipation for this movie, as well as the timing of this being midway through uh, or getting close to the midpoint in 2022, where we might start to see the box office approaching normal or getting back to as close as it's going to get to 2019 as we start settling into a new normal. That's where that's part of the reason why I'm thinking this. And if there's already been a hundred million dollar opening weekend before Thor Love and Thunder, then maybe Thor Love and Thunder is the first hundred and fifty million dollar opening weekend after the pandemic. I'm not really sure. Um, but I do want to talk about Christian Bale playing Gore the God Butcher. This was a casting that I mean, we talked about it almost a year ago when it was initially reported. I was actually I'd I'd have to go back and listen to the episode where we talked about it, but I think I was fairly dismissive of the idea of him playing Gore the God Butcher only because I thought and I thought wrong that Taika had mined what he wanted to from uh, from Gore the God Butcher with Hela. That and and Gore the God Butcher is not, I mean, is not as not as significant in the Jane Foster Thor run as uh, you know his first major arc was just with Thor Odinson and actually the first eleven issues of Jason Aaron's legendary Thor run, counting all of it, Thor Odinson as well as Jane Foster. So I've always associated Gore as more of a Thor villain, not so much Jane Foster. Um, and I also, again, it was just the powers, some of the power set being used by Hela. I thought maybe that was where Taika used what he wanted to from Gore the God Butcher, but obviously not. But I'm still excited about this because I think that this is a role that Christian Bale can just absolutely kill it in. I'm wondering what they'll do for the look of the character because... He's kind of Voldemort looking. So for movie audiences, I don't know if they'll want to change up the look a little bit or although Taika was very adamant about being faithful to the look of Hela from the comic books. So I don't know for Gore the God Butcher if he's going to want to adhere very closely to the comic book or if he's going to want to go a different direction. If he goes close to the comic book, then you are you're not going to see a lot of Christian Bale. Gore does not look human. I mean, humanoid in shape, like he walks on two legs, but doesn't really have much of a nose. Got the Voldemort thing going on. Um, doesn't really have that much of a human face. So for Christian Bale, that's either him being hidden in makeup and prosthetics, or it's going to be a performance capture thing if they adhere to the look from the comic books. But it wouldn't surprise me if they change it up slightly just so you can actually use more of Christian Bale's face. But I really have no idea what they're going to do there. Um, but who is this character of Gore the, the God Butcher for anybody who maybe isn't familiar with those books? And it's totally okay if you're not. So Gore the God Butcher is a character who is, I mean, his name is, he is exactly what his name says he is. He is a killer of gods. And he is somebody who has a grudge against the gods because he grew up on a world where there was nothing but suffering. His dad died of illness. His mom was attacked and, and eaten by some beasts that were on that planet. And then he was still, Gore was able to persevere, grow up, have a family, but he lost his kids to illness. He lost his pregnant wife to an earthquake. He lost his last living son to starvation. He just, and, and all the while this was happening, everybody on his planet continued to pray to gods and sacrifice for gods 
um, even though prayers were never, ever being answered, and he felt forsaken by those gods, and in fact, to the point where he didn't think gods even existed until two gods who had been fighting crash-landed on Gore's planet, and he realized that there are gods, and they just weren't listening. Um, and it's from one of those fallen gods that he inherits this weapon known as the All Black, and uh, it actually later on in Marvel comic books, it's proven to be like the original symbiote. So I don't know if that's going to be, uh, I don't know if that's going to be a thing in the MCU, if they made a deal with Sony or not, but they don't really have to. Um, as far as what he's able to do with those powers. So you saw some idea of it with Hela being able to conjure these weapons, but he can actually, Gore can actually create living constructs. He creates these things called berserkers, that basically give him an army that he can use to attack gods. Uh, that's something that Hela was not doing. So there are basically a lot of, it's a lot of CG monsters that can be created for Thor Odinson, the mighty Thor, and Valkyrie, and Korg, and Meek, and whoever else to fight. So you'll have plenty of fodder for that if they're giving that part of the of Gore the God Butcher's powers. But the other thing he does, the, the bigger, crazier, more cosmic thing that he does is he enslaves gods across all of time to make them build a god bomb that can kill all of the gods across all of time and space, going all the way back to the Big Bang to, you know, thousands of years in the future. He can kill them all at once. Like, that is his plot in this comic book, in his original arc. I don't know if that's going to be what happens in, uh, that that's going to be what happens in Thor Love and Thunder, it may very well not be. You could have a completely different villain plot. And, and we're, we're working with a lot of characters who weren't a part of that uh, Gore the God Butcher or God Bomb arc uh, when he was first introduced, um, which and it's fairly recent. I mean, this all happened in 2012 and 2013 was this arc playing out. So we'll be right at about the 10th anniversary of Gore the God Butcher when this movie actually comes out in May of 2022. I think he came out in like the fall of that year as part of like the mm. first round of like Marvel now titles or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I don't know how in depth they're going to go with it, but this is a brutal villain. And I mean, psychologically he tortures the crap out of Thor because he meets Thor before Thor is worthy before Mjolnir or anything. When Thor's just hanging out with Vikings and wielding Yarnborn uh, and Gore has an encounter with him and Thor is ultimately able to escape. And that just creates an eons long like grudge between Gore and Thor, but while also at the same time, Gore is wanting to just murder gods left and right. And so this is a character who um, is very savage, very brutal, but also very smart, very cold, very calculating. These are all things that Christian Bale can do very, very well, because Christian Bale, let's be real, he can do anything uh, as an right. actor. But everything, all of the intensity that Gore the God Butcher brings in those comic books, uh, Christian Bale can bring all of that. So this is perfect casting for this character, and this is a really exciting character. I wasn't dismissive because I didn't uh, of the character or that possibility earlier on because I didn't like Gore the God Butcher. It really was more of I just didn't think this was the one uh, that Taika was thinking of. Uh, but I'm glad it is because Gore's a great character, uh, and you're matching a really great, uh, really great antagonist with just as good of an actor as we've had this generation. Christian Bale joining Love and Thunder is just uh, as Gore the God Butcher. It, it, it's worth the price of admission by itself. You could tell me we're going to get Ant-Man the Wasp 2 level, which is one of my least favorite Marvel films. And just to have Christian Bale on it as as a God Butcher, yeah, I'd be all about it. I'd, I'd pay to see that eight yeah. times a week. 
Yeah, I might end up paying to see it eight times in a week. That that really could, that's fair. That really may very well happen. Next on the schedule after Thor: Love and Thunder is Black Panther Two, and the description we have is as follows: Black Panther Two, opening on July eighth, twenty twenty two, is being written and directed by Ryan Coogler, honoring Chadwick Boseman's legacy and portrayal of T'Challa. The Black Panther, Marvel Studios will not recast the character, but will continue to explore the incomparable world of Wakanda and all of the rich and varied characters introduced in the first film. So this is a little bit of a delay. Black Panther 2 previously was scheduled for May 6th of 2022. That now is occupied by Thor Love and Thunder. So Black Panther 2 pushes for two months. And of course, we have the obvious that the story for this movie, which Ryan Coogler was already writing and the script that he was already writing and developing, would have centered, of course, on Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa. But T'Challa is not going to be part of this film. Oh, I'm sure T'Challa will be part of this film, uh, but will not be the main character in this movie anymore with Chadwick Boseman having passed and them uh, and Marvel and Marvel Studios deciding ultimately not to recast this character. Um, I'll talk more about that in uh, in just a moment. But as far as, and we'll talk about the possibilities for the Black Panther franchise without T'Challa going forward. But as far as the, just the timing of this, I mean, I'm, I'm almost somewhat impressed by how they've been able to only push this movie by a couple of months um, in, to, because this is obviously such a huge thing and obviously such an emotional and such a devastating loss for everybody involved right. in this franchise to be able to, you know, get this going again. And, and I know they still have time. I mean, they still know that uh, they have until, you know, middle of next year to start shooting in order to be ready for a July 8, 2022 release date. Um, but when Chadwick Boseman passed, I was wondering if there might be a more uh, a longer delay uh, than just what we're seeing here for a couple of months. But the bigger stories here um, is what will happen in this franchise. But before we even get to that, the point that they have decided not to recast this character. Now, we never really got to that point on the podcast where I even felt comfortable talking about the idea of recasting and, and what they should do with the future of the Black Panther franchise after Chadwick Boseman passed away in August of this year. My, my main feeling on it, what I planned to say whenever we did talk about it on the podcast was that I trusted the people involved to make the right decision, whatever that was. I don't think it would have been wrong of Marvel Studios or Ryan Coogler or anybody else in involved in the movie if they did recast, if they had decided to recast the role in order to keep T'Challa in the MCU I think that would have been fine because for some people saying that, well, that would be disrespectful to Chadwick Boseman. Well, we didn't know Chadwick Boseman and we don't know what his wishes were. And, and so I wouldn't assume that I know what they are. And as far as what their options are, I could, there is a case to be made that even though Chadwick Boseman has passed, that all the kids for whom T'Challa is their hero don't need to lose their superhero or shouldn't have to lose their superhero as a result of their fictional superhero as a result of real life tragedy. So I would have been okay with, I would have trusted the decision if Marvel and Ryan Coogler, if they had ultimately decided to recast, I would have supported that. I will also support this decision to not recast because as much as I can say that I would love to see T'Challa again, or I want kids to be able to see T'Challa again. 
I did not know Chadwick Boseman. I mean, he touched my life as a performer um, and as a person from what I knew of him publicly as a public figure, but I didn't actually know him. And so there is a level on which everyone involved in this franchise is experiencing this loss that I just can't know. And I think it's already going to be such a difficult experience for them to just not have Chadwick Boseman on set. It's an even it's another level to that when you're having to see somebody else in the role that you know was uh, previously inhabited by Chadwick Boseman. So there are a lot of things that make it difficult. And I'm not trying to say that it was uh, Ryan Coogler and Marvel Studios and Kevin Feige. I'm not saying they were motivated by their own emotional response to things. I think it's uh, it's looking at everything. It's looking at it's the it's the sum total of all the different factors that are at play here. And they've ultimately decided that the right move for them is to not go ahead and, and not recast the character. So I respect that just in the way that I would have respected a decision to recast. And I, and I would have supported that. I also support this decision not to recast the character because I don't feel like I'm the best person to decide or that we even as the fans are the best people to decide collectively what the right thing to do here is. So I respect the decision and I ju- it just leaves me wondering what they will do now with this story. Obviously, the comic books point us in some fairly obvious directions, but this is the MCU. They don't necessarily have to do everything exactly the way it played out in the books. You know, I, I think that Black Panther is such it's such a unique property because the fact that you it, what it's done and what I what I wonder with how you said, Sean, that they just kind of pushed out the the uh, the movie date a couple months. It kind of to me that tells me something to where there was already a a plan in place of some sort of something other than T'Challa in the movie. Not not because of 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 his, of his health necessarily, but I think of where the story was going. And what I mean by that is, I think that there was going to be a, a sure, a, sir. I always say Shuri, Shuri, uh, Shuri. Uh, she was going to be a Black Panther at some point. Like, I think that was inevitable. And it's in the comic books. And I think with the character itself, just it, it made sense to have that with with all that was going on, I think, in the in today's world, in today's uh, just everything with, with the character, as popular as she was. It just made sense for her to be a Black Panther and, and team up T'Challa or something like that. I think that was always probably somewhere along the lines going to happen. And, and to be honest, I think that the fact that they moved it out only a couple months to me tells me that this is all, this was going to be a major part of the story. And they definitely have to rewrite and redo a, a number of things. But I think that to me is the obvious and the best choice because it's a it's keeps it in the family of the character and it she already is a very popular character right now with the fans which I would to be honest I was not expecting walking into that movie to love the character which I did and and again knowing and I knew what she was she was a black panther at some point I have the issue I have I own the comics when she first turned into the black panther so to me it it really seems that 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 was a, going to probably going to be an element and the fact they've only moved it out a couple months, it tells me if it's not her, there was already some kind of plan in place, or there was going to be the head. The main story is staying intact. They're just tweak. They're going to have to retweak it a little bit 
to make it fit what um, what the story is for the narrative going forward without Chad uh, Chad Chadwick Boseman. So to me, it it, it just tells me that it's probably going to be a sister. And I think that's and honestly, I think it's the best thing for, in my opinion. So with the fact that we're we're giving uh, if they can somehow honor uh, T'Challa the same way that with with Chadwick and have their their you know their what whatever happens to them is kind of similar. There is a there is a, a beauty to that, and I think that the, to me honoring Chadwick that way and with that with T'Challa like that and linking them together. There, again, I think that's a good way of honoring both characters and what Chadwick has done for that character, and it would give Shuri, I think, a lot of uh, you know motivation, and it just added the power of her taking on the mantle of Black Panther. So, this movie is going to have so much heaviness and power to it, like the first movie did, but it's going to be a lot different in a sense to where the themes and the ideas aren't going to be the same. And I think that's a big deal. And I think that Ryan Cooler is going to handle that beautifully. I mean, look at the rock, uh, the Creed films. I haven't seen the second one, but that first film deals, the themes are so good. And it, besides the black Panther movie, obviously the themes are amazing, but the themes in, in, in Creed are fantastic too, because they are all super relatable to everybody because they're, they're about legacy. It's about, you know, where you come from, where, what does that matter? Honoring yourself, things like that. I mean, Ryan's, he deals with themes so beautifully that I really look forward to seeing how he tackles the themes of loss and which I'm assuming we're going to be getting in this movie. So, um, I, I think that Black Panther couldn't be in better hands right now, to be honest. And I, I look forward in a sense to where, how they're going to honor Chadwick with this movie. And I, I definitely think that my money's on Shuri. And if, to be honest, I think she should get it because again, of the honoring of the family and especially with the relationship, the relationship they have in the first film and, and, and all we see in infinity war and, and Endgame even they're they're side by side. They're, they are extremely close. So that's where I kind of land on everything. And, um, Again, I hate talking about this. It's not I don't like I don't take joy in talking about it because I hate what it's what it means. But uh but yeah, I think but the one thing that gives me kind of some kind of uh uh of hope or uh, just kind of just I feel more positive is the fact that pe- the people that are behind it like a Ryan Coogler are going to handle it with the utmost best respects and probably creativity that I look forward to seeing the the the, the beautiful uh, themes and uh, uh, message that they'll be delivering in this movie. Yeah. I think that this movie, this franchise and this legacy of Chadwick Boseman, I, I think they're all in really great hands. I think they're in the best possible hands with Ryan Coogler as a storyteller, Kevin Feige as a, a producer with Ryan Coogler writing and directing this film and this cast. I mean, it's just full of people who knew and loved Chadwick Boseman. And I think Marvel's done a great job paying tribute to him. I mean, the way they changed the Marvel Studios logo on Black Panther on Disney Plus uh, during on Chadwick's birthday, that was incredible. But then, of course, you're talking about this movie, which will have in its own tragically meta sort of way. I mean, I anticipate that T'Challa will will have passed on when we catch up with this story in the MCU and Black Panther 2 
and it will kind of deal with the the fictional loss within the MCU will be coupled with the real life loss that uh, you know people who knew Chadwick either himself or through his work all over the world that people are feeling, and that people will there's no way to not be reminded of that. There's no way to watch a movie called Black Panther 2 and not remember who starred in the first Black Panther film. There's just no way to do that. And so it really is about how can you use this movie as a vehicle to honor Chadwick Boseman? And you want to honor the legacy of of Chadwick, of the character of T'Challa. And I, I think that Ryan Coogler and, and everybody involved in this are, are very well equipped to do that, as challenging as it will undoubtedly be for them. But then there's also the other part of honoring that legacy, which is Chadwick Boseman as the kind of person who opened doors for others and created opportunities for others. And I think that is also going to be represented in this film, in that T'Challa is somebody who created opportunities for others. And one of the things that is helpful is that even in the first film is how that spotlight that Chadwick Boseman didn't keep all of that for himself or that Ryan Coogler didn't center all of that on T'Challa. We saw other characters have an opportunity to shine and really stand out in that first film. You mentioned Shuri, although I'll just go ahead and acknowledge the elephant in the room that obviously Letitia Wright got herself involved in some controversy with a video that she shared uh, that I wasn't very happy with that not only had questionable views and just blatant misinformation about vaccines, um, but also had contained transphobic rhetoric uh, that she never really addressed before she just took herself off of social media. So things with Letitia Wright are TBD right now. Not that I'm suggesting that Marvel Studios or Disney are going to fire her. Just the point being that I don't know right now with the way things are going, if she's going to be the best person to build a franchise around with Letitia Wright personally. But if we're just talking about the response to the character and and maybe nobody will care and maybe everybody will just focus on the character by the time we get to Black Panther 2, I'm not sure. But in any event, Shuri is a very popular character who has in the comic books certainly gone on to be Black Panther, although she's also just been Shuri as a superhero. And I've talked about that for that character as well in the MCU, that she doesn't need to be Black Panther in order to be a superhero in the MCU. She can just be Shuri. And I think that remains true. Um, but of course, she's a perfectly viable option as characters go to be to succeed T'Challa as Black Panther in the MCU. I don't, however, believe that she is the only choice. I know that's the path that the comic books point us in, but there are other options. Again, because of the work that was done in that first Black Panther film, you have other characters who I think audiences would be very excited about seeing as the new Black Panther. I think a character like Okoye, who not only was popular in Black Panther, she had significant roles in Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame, maybe not as big of a role in, in, in Endgame as Infinity War, but she was there. I mean, she's there for the final battle. She's checking in with the, with the Avengers, with Black Widow at Avengers Compound on like the big fancy Zoom call that they have in Avengers Endgame. So Okoye has been kind of a fixture of the MCU. And if we're talking about in terms of plot, in terms of story, she had to have been the one or she's one of two people, presumably, who were leading Wakanda during the five years that T'Challa and Shuri were both gone. So she has fairly recent experience in the MCU, presumably being a leader in Wakanda. And of course, her history as a general leader of the Dora Milaje. 
this is somebody, I think Okoye is a character who can't be counted out as a possible choice for Black Panther. Another one that we're seeing, you know, fans choosing right now is Nakia, played by Lupita Nyong'o. Of course, Denai Greer playing Okoye, Lupita Nyong'o as Nakia. This is a character who emotionally was and, and philosophically was so pivotal in Black Panther because she was the one even before Killmonger burst on the scene urging T'Challa to forego the Wakandan tradition of just being uh, of isolating Wakanda from the rest of the world and actually wanting to share resources and wanting to use Wakanda as a force for good to help lift other people up in the world and be their brother's keeper. That was Nakia was at the center of that theme in Black Panther. So she would be a great choice to honor T'Challa as the next Black Panther and as a queen in Wakanda, potentially. So Nakia would be a great choice. Okoye would be a great choice. Shuri would be a great choice. M'Baku would be another great choice. I mentioned that there are two characters who were presumably leading Wakanda during the five years uh, that elapsed in Avengers Endgame, the blip. One of those seems to be Okoye. M'Baku might have been another one. We know he survived the snap, and he was a leader of his own tribe that was separate from Wakanda for most of his life until they were the Jabari were united with the rest of the, the, the other tribes in Black Panther. So... M'Baku may very well be somebody who could be a Black Panther. I mean, he certainly he challenged for the role of Black Panther for that title. Uh, he challenged for the throne and almost had it at Warrior Falls in the first film. So M'Baku is also a worthy choice. I don't know if I would uh, give him the same odds that I would Nakia, Okoye, or Shuri. But suffice to say that you have a number of directions they could go, a number of options that I think would be perfectly valid and exciting within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But of course, the excitement for those characters is going to be coupled with, uh, you know, that sense of loss and, and that grief in the morning for Chadwick Boseman. I mean, that's the type of thing that it's just there's no way to separate this movie from that. So it will be bittersweet, but I, I think it will be the best version uh, of bittersweet that it can possibly be, because I think you have the perfect people here who are going to be kind of the stewards of this legacy of Chadwick Boseman and of T'Challa. And I just know that Ryan Coogler and company are going to do something absolutely beautiful with this. And uh, as far as who they choose to be Black Panther, if they even choose a new Black Panther at all, that might be another part of this. Uh, maybe they that title is even retired. I don't know what they're going to do. But in the same way that I plan to support them with whatever they felt was best for recasting or not recasting this role, I'm also ready to support their choices on how they feel is the best way uh, to honor the legacy of someone they love so much. So, uh, and I have full faith in their ability to uh, to deliver something as special and as beautiful as Chadwick Boseman deserves uh, with this film. So the next movie, and there's no uh, effective transition from that topic. So I uh, I apologize for that, and I'm just moving into the next one. So the next one we have actually doesn't have an official date. But the Marvel press release from Disney Investor Day seemed to go in chronological order, and this movie was placed in front of Captain Marvel 2. So somewhere in between July 8th of 2022 for Black Panther 2 and November 11th, 2022, is Blade. Now, that may not ultimately hold up. Maybe Blade will end up coming out after Captain Marvel 2. There is still currently an untitled Marvel film on Disney's release slate, for October 7th of 2022. I just suspect that date may not hold because that's also the date for the Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse sequel. 
And I don't think that Marvel Studios is going to. And it's not a it's not a being afraid of Sony or that type of thing. I just think their relationship is more cooperative than that, that Marvel Studios and Disney are not going to put out a Blade movie or any other Marvel Studios movie on the same day as a Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse sequel. I just don't think they're going to do that. But let's go ahead and let's talk about Blade as just still kind of being out there, Paul. Um, all we know about this movie is what we already knew. Mahershala Ali is in the title role, which is kind of all I need to know. Two-time Oscar winner Mahershala Ali is Blade. I'm still just as excited about that as I was when I saw him walk out on stage in Hall H and put on the Blade hat before they flashed the title on the screen. I'm still every bit as excited about that. I just now want to get to that next step of like who's making this movie, who else is going to be in this movie. Um, they're already off to the best possible start with Mahershala Ali as Blade. Uh, and hopefully, uh, Feige did tease during the Investor Day presentation that we would know more about Blade, uh, that we would know more soon. Uh, and hopefully he really means soon. And that's not just like speaking relatively on a very extreme level. Blade and his introduction to, or the introduction to the MCU is just so, I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to it. Don't get me wrong. I'm excited about it. I just don't know how exactly they're going to introduce him. And the fact that, that Kevin is hinted at getting more information about him in the future, like very soon tells me that there's going to be hints of that world being dropped in at some point now with there's there's a there's a couple certain things that we could we can you know go to all right so there's already one dr strange okay he's part of that horror world essentially he's not a main player but he's in he plays in that you know he dabbles in that world you also have potentially wandavision because of a certain character named mephisto i'll just leave it at there um, besides that, there's not really a lot that they, that you could really, you know, tie the horror element into the MCU at this point. Um, at least off the top of my head, besides Dr. Strange and, um, Mephisto potentially. So I, you know, I, I have, I don't have a lot to say until I see exactly how they're going to, you know, at least start seeing the seeds a little bit, Sean, yeah. of what they're going to do. Well, I mean, and granted, I think Moon Knight is something that can kind of, oh, of course, feed right. into this because you get you're starting to get into darker, more supernatural territory. And I think Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is also going to open those doors. Yeah, but I agree with you. I mean, there's only so much we can say about Blade right now other than what's already been said, which is, yeah, Mahershali is playing Blade and that's going to be great. So it's really just a matter of, OK, let's start let's start putting this together and getting a sense of what exactly this is going to be. Um, and I was hoping by now, I mean, with Disney Investor Day being almost a year and a half since the Comic-Con announcement, that there would be more that they uh, were prepared to share. But of course, they've been working on a lot of other stuff. So you know, I'm just waiting to see, uh, of course, who's going to direct this film. Because uh, even though Mahershali is a great star, you want a great director to come in uh, and make this movie and get the most out of and, and put Mahershali in the best po uh, best possible position to be successful in this role. Not that he needs a lot of help, but uh, you still want to have a good director in there. Uh, but yeah, I'm just waiting to know more about Blade, as I think we all are. So uh, one movie that we know more about than Blade is a movie that is scheduled to come out uh, November 11th of 2022. That is Captain Marvel 2, and it is being directed by Nia DaCosta. And Marvel describes it as Brie Larson star uh, stars as Carol Danvers, 
alongside Iman Vellani, who makes her debut in Miss Marvel, and Tiana Paris, who portrays grown-up Monica Rambeau, a character introduced as a child in Captain Marvel, who returns to the MCU as an adult in WandaVision. So I am just, as I tend to be with these things, I am incredibly excited about this specific movie. I really love the first Captain Marvel film. I think it's underrated as MCU movies go, but I was also very excited about the idea of having a new creative voice, a new creative vision to this franchise. And of course, that's no slight whatsoever to Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck, who I think did a tremendous job in the first movie. But Nia DaCosta is a voice that I'm really excited about. I'm really excited about seeing her vision uh, being brought into this franchise. I mean, she made Little Woods uh, with uh, Tessa Thompson and Lily James. I thought that movie was really great. And then she directed the new Candyman film starring Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, which was supposed to be out this year, but then, of course, is among all the other movies this year being delayed so much. So it's not going to be out until next year, but the trailers for it look really great. And the uh, like paper puppet little shadow thing trailer that she made back in June that she posted on social media was really, really great. And I know you could look at something like that and say it's just a social thing. It's not that big a deal, but it actually shows the depth of her storytelling talent that she can be able to portray that showcase such a great story in that type of medium in such a short amount of time. I think Nia DaCosta is a really special storyteller who's now being brought into the MCU. And I think she's going to be able to take things to another level with Carol Danvers. And I'm excited for Brie Larson to kind of be unleashed in this role because it's the one downside to the plot of the first one is that she had to spend most of that movie not knowing who she was and having to relearn who she was because of the amnesia plot line. So for Carol Danvers to go into this movie knowing who she is, and then you bring in these other characters, Amon Vellani as Ms. Marvel, who I think is going to be great in her Disney Plus series, and then Tiana Paris, who so far looks like she's going to be great as Monica Rambeau in WandaVision. So to have this sort of little mini team up with these three heroes, because I'm guessing Monica Rambeau is not here to just be on the sidelines. I think she's here to be a superhero, just like Miss Marvel and uh, and Captain Marvel are. So I don't know if it's the photon identity, the spectrum identity. I, I don't know what superhero name uh, from because Monica Rambo's had a lot of them in the comics, including Captain Marvel. Uh, I don't know what superhero identity they're going to go with, but I feel like it's getting there. So I'm excited for this team up. I'm excited for this filmmaker with Nia DaCosta. And yeah, Captain Marvel 2 is just it looks like it's going to be a really, really big event with its own. I mean, it, it almost reminds me of kind of like uh, Cap, going back to the captains here, Captain America getting in his second movie. Yeah, it's Captain America, the Winter Soldier, but it's also a mini team up of three heroes. It's Captain America, Black Widow and Falcon teaming up in that movie. And so Captain Marvel 2 is kind of getting something similar to that. I, I I think that's where a lot of the similarities will end because I don't think the plot is going to be anywhere close to what uh, Winter Soldier was. Um, but in any event, great filmmaker, great cast, uh, exciting team up opportunity. It looks like Captain Marvel 2 is going to be uh, way, way bigger than the first one was. The interesting thing about Captain Marvel 2 is you've got this. It's really cool, actually, because you have Carol Danvers and the the connections of the two characters that will be co-starring with her. You've got Miss Marvel and Photon and or whatever Spectrum, whatever her name's now, because each character has a tie of Carol Danvers, right? Because Carol Danvers was formerly Miss Marvel and then 
you have Spectrum or Photon or whatever her name is, was once Captain Marvel as well in the comic books. So it's got this kind of, they're all kind of interconnected somehow a little bit in from the, the comic history. And, and for the record, uh, Monica Rambo was my Captain Marvel growing up because she was part of the Secret Wars uh, uh, characters that were on Battleworld. And I remember calling her Captain Marvel and just being really confused when she was gone and someone else was Captain Marvel. I was like, what the hell is going on here? I'm really confused. Um, so... So yeah, I, I thought I think that's really cool that there's kind of like this uh, weird connected connectivity between all these characters and how they're going to be all in the same movie together. And I'm with you, Sean. I think Captain Marvel is actually a, a pretty underrated movie. I don't think it's my it's not like one I want to go to. I re, I've only seen it a couple times to be quite honest. But when I watched it watched it last time, I'm like, yeah, this is this is, this is a pretty damn good solid like superhero film, man. And and I and I, I stand by. Uh, honestly, I stand by my reviews of every time I've, I've seen it because it only solidifies what I think that mm -hmm. it's a it's it's it definitely has its moments where it's just not like, you know, I don't like some of the things in it. Definitely. Like, I hate that. No doubt. part. Um, <laughs> but that being but but that yeah. being said, I like a lot of it. I think Brie Larson's performance is very, very good. And I think yes. people are. And I think people are really hard on her. And it's because they expect like this witty. You know, again, I, I'll go back to it. This whole witty character—that's not the character they want to portray. And I'm—I, I for one, am relieved and and really enjoy the fact that this is not a Tony Stark, you know, 2.0 character, but a very different character. And I think that's going to play better in the long run. And to be quite honest, I think you see the the benefits of that in Endgame. Yeah. So, um, I mean, just the whole I, hey, Peter Parker you know, interaction with Spider-Man on in the final mm -hmm. battle. Like you do see more of Carol as, you know, having more dimension to her just in terms of her personality, in terms of her character that, you know, she's not exactly what you saw the whole time in Captain Marvel. I think Brie Larson's performance is outstanding in Captain Marvel. She's doing exactly what she's supposed to do in that story. And there's so much subtlety, so much nuance in her performance uh, that I think is really, really great. But yeah, that's part of the plot of the movie is discovering who she is, which means that's not you're not seeing all of who she is for most of that movie. You'll yeah. get to see more of that. I mean, we get glimpses of it in Captain Marvel, more of it in Avengers Endgame, and you're going to see even more of it full tilt in Captain Marvel 2. And probably even before that, you're going to see it in Miss Marvel. I mean, I, I don't see how you're well, I see how it can happen. But why would you? You're making Miss Marvel and she's going to appear in the next Captain Marvel movie. And we've already suspected that Brie Larson will probably have at least a cameo at some point in Miss Marvel next year. And this kind of seals that for me, like knowing that Miss Marvel Kamala Khan is going to go right from her series to Captain Marvel 2. The bridge to that is Brie Larson showing up in Miss Marvel. So it makes me even more excited for that series. And yeah, this one, I think it's going to be a big, fun, crazy movie. Uh, I, we have no idea what the plot is and how all of these characters are, are going to be connected. But as I said, uh, really, really great storyteller here in, uh, in Nia DaCosta. And I think we'll look back on that as being, uh, Marvel's had a lot of great director hires over the years, but we'll, I think we'll look back on Nia DaCosta as being one of the very best. So mm -hmm. very, very excited for Captain Marvel too. Uh, we still have, uh, a few more here that we have to talk about. See, that's why Good we needed God. like seven shows to cover this. Uh, Seriously. next up. 
is Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania. So we now know the title of this. Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania will be helmed by Ant-Man director Peyton Reed, starring uh, returning favorites Paul Rudd as Scott Lang slash Ant-Man, Evangeline Lilly as Hope Van Dyne slash Wasp, uh, Michael Douglas as Dr. Hank Pym, and Michelle Pfeiffer as Janet Van Dyne. Catherine Newton joins the cast as Cassie Lang, while Jonathan Majors portrays Kang the Conqueror. So we spoke about in a recent episode of the podcast, uh, we did talk about Jonathan Majors playing the role of uh, of Kang the Conqueror. That was back in looks like an episode 172 of the podcast. So if you want to hear our thoughts on Kang the Conqueror and Jonathan Majors as an actor, you can go back and you can listen to that episode. Um, but I love the title of this, even if uh, maybe it proves Martin Scorsese right. Not really, uh, but it does kind of sound like a theme park ride. I don't care. I am here for that ride. Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. I love that it is a crazy, weird, just bonkers sort of title because I think that's what the Ant-Man franchise needs right now is to just go all out with the quantum realm and get into all this crazy stuff that's going to, of course, uh, have them intersecting with uh, Kang the Conqueror, they being Ant-Man and, uh, and the Wasp. So I'm really excited about all of this. Peyton Reed being back. Um, I, I really like Ant-Man and the Wasp. Not as much, but I love the first Ant-Man. So Peyton Reed's done some really great stuff. Also did some great stuff in the Mandalorian season finale. So I uh, love Peyton Reed as a filmmaker. Also really like the addition of uh, Catherine Newton as Cassie Lang here. So Cassie, when last we saw her in Avengers Endgame, was played by Emma Furman. I'm not necessarily I'm not sure why Marvel decided to recast this role other than maybe feeling like Emma Furman was brought in for a very specific thing for Endgame and it was a much smaller part, so they weren't necessarily casting for the future uh, when they brought her in for that film, although typically Marvel is uh, when they do that sort of stuff. But ultimately they've decided on uh Catherine Newton, who is a really good actress. Uh, I haven't seen I think she has a movie with Vince Vaughn out right now called Freaky or something like that. Um, I haven't seen that, but I have seen her in uh, in Big Little Lies, the HBO series, as well as Blockers uh, movie. So I've seen her in uh, a few things, and I think she's been uh, she's a great young actress who I think will do an outstanding job in this role of Cassie Lang. So. Yeah, definitely, you know, nothing against uh, Emma Furman, who did a great job with what she was asked to do in Avengers Endgame. Uh, but I really like this Catherine Newton casting, and I'm excited about what she's going to bring to Ant-Man and the Wasp um, and other projects, presumably, as Cassie Lang and probably Stature. Oh, man. This is a... Uh... God, we need more time, man. I'm telling you, there's so so much. We have so many. <laughs> well, Maybe not for I, this episode, but we have. Yeah, it. not for this episode. No, no. I, I mean, the future episodes. I just want you all to realize that we could go for so much longer on every topic that we're going to. But it's just the to, to compile like just some general general thoughts on these on these things are so hard for me because I just want to go off and on and on and. Anyway, um, I, I've made it no secret that Ant-Man and the Wasp is one of my least favorite Marvel films. Uh, it's not terrible. It's just not my favorite. I've only seen it once, to be quite honest. And uh, I need to see it again. And maybe I'll like it more. Because I like Peyton Reed for another, a number of reasons. Star Wars being one of them. Thank you, Peyton. 
Um, but those remember or who are longtime listeners of the show will know that I do love that first Ant-Man movie a lot. And I think he should get a lot of credit for that. I think he he handled a very, uh, to be honest, kind of not a volatile situation, but a little bit it of was. a. No, it was. I mean, okay. he, he had right. to come in for a director in Edgar Wright who you know, stepped away creative differences and the way that those things go. And uh, was hired in what, like June, and shooting by August. With okay. A, with yeah. a, I mean, I, volatile is you know that that covers it. Definitely, yeah. okay. I mean, at, I mean, definitely a very difficult situation. Absolutely. So, with all that said, um, I think that he did an, a really great job of pulling that movie together and and showed that it it was a great a great movie. In fact, it's maybe in my top 10 still. I love that movie to death. It has a lot of heart and it, it feels very different than the MCU around it. And it's its own little thing. It's a great origin story. It really is. And I think, I think Peyton did a great job with the characters. Um, again, I don't know if I blame him necessarily for that movie uh, of, of Ant-Man and the Wasp. I, I don't know. It just, just does not ring to me. Um, but with the new film, I think we're going to get a lot more, like you said, kind of a little more bonkers, a little more zany. And with the quantum realm, I'm not, I just don't know what to expect from it. Now, with, I'm just going to end it here because I'm, I'm going to save most of my stuff for a future show because I think that you've said a lot of what we need to be said. The only thing I'm going to add here is that this could essentially be way more important than just a really fun bonkers story because of what's going on in the King and the mm -hmm. Cassie situation. And I, I think those two things alone make this movie very, very intriguing for me. So if you're an MCU fan and you're kind of looking for like the, you know, what are the movies that are going to really drive home the overall narrative of the MCU going forward? Or what is the, What's going to be the driving force or, you know, what's going to be the pivotal films? Because let's be real. Not every MCU film is pivotal, like a Ant-Man and the Wasp, if you will. Yeah, nor you should know? they be. Or, exactly. 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 You know, I'm not saying they should be. But if you're if really if really interested in those those kinds of films that are driving the overall narrative of the whole phase or whatever, then I'd say I think this movie is that's my money right now as the big the pivotal one. This is this could be potentially a pivotal film in that that this end credit scene or something like that in this movie could be huge. When you're dealing with Kang the Conqueror and you're also dealing with Cassie Lang as either uh, Stinger or Stature, one each character, you know, because she's also that new ant, new uh, version of Ant Man or, or Wasp, whatever, in the in the uh, Nick yeah, Spencer. I think or, uh, she might have just been guessing based on the comic books. I don't know, but Catherine Newton did put on one of her posts about it. She did use the hashtag Stature. Yeah. Oh. Oh. oh okay. Well. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well. Um. Either way, I mean, because let's be honest. What did What did Hank Pym do in the comics? He rotated like eight different aliases so i mean she could do both but um but either way but yeah the fact you're really telegraphing i mean we already knew they're telegraphing the young avengers but there's they're even more set up here i think in this yeah we covered young avengers and i think that's where a lot of this stuff is headed and and really the fact that they went with a more experienced actor to come in and, and take on this role of cassie lang uh right now shows that i think they're gonna 
elevate this character. And what's interesting, though, is that I'm going back to Catherine Newton's post where she shared it and she edited it because when she originally posted it, uh, the caption was it was the part of the presentation that announced her on the cast for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania. Um, she said, last night, I dreamed of being a superhero. Now it says that, but it says hashtag Marvel. Uh, before it also had hashtag stature. So maybe somebody told her that uh, she needed to take that down. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, she's going to be a superhero, whether it's the stature identity or a different one from the comic books. But I agree with you. I think Ant-Man and the Wasp is going to be Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania is going to be a fairly important film. Um, one thing it won't have to do that I think was kind of a challenge for Ant-Man and the Wasp, although I really like Ant-Man and the Wasp, it's not in my top tier of MCU movies. But when we're talking about that, we're talking about really good movies. So Ant-Man and the Wasp was kind of in that next group somewhere, but it's still a really entertaining movie despite being challenged. I mean, in some ways I would say Ant-Man and the Wasp was an even more difficult movie to make and story to tell than, uh, than even the first Ant-Man movie. Of course you had Peyton Reed coming on board late, but Ant-Man and the Wasp was one where, it needed to follow up on Civil War while also tying itself in between or, you know, concurrent to some of the story of Infinity War slash Endgame. So it was kind of in this tough little spot, you know, to have to tell a story. And it, it was confined a little bit. I mean, yeah. normally I, I think the MCU is probably criticized more so than it really needs to be or deserves to be because of the way the larger universe uh, is restrictive towards, you know, other stories. I think for the most part, that's not really true. But in the case of Ant-Man and the Wasp, it kind of was. And uh, I think Peyton Reese did a great job in the, in, with the space they had to tell the story that they did and told the right story with the time and space that they had within the broader MCU. But this is one where they're not tied into anything necessarily. This is where Ant-Man is not... Ant-Man and the Wasp as a franchise is not reacting to the MCU. This is where it gets to be one of the drivers of the MCU. It's a different role than I think this franchise has previously been afforded. And I think it's going to be really, really good in that space. And as you alluded to, and it sets up kind of our our next movie and, and last one that we're going to talk about here, when we're talking about the quantum realm and we're talking about Kang, there's plenty of fan theories that have already been out there. And I, I think when you have a movie called Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania, and it includes a character like Kang the Conqueror, it just adds to and, and just fuels those fan theories all the more that this may be how we are introduced to the Fantastic Four in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Or if this is not how we get a formal introduction to the Fantastic Four, then this sets up, the this telegraphs our eventual formal introduction to the Fantastic Four, um, because they did announce that during Disney Investor Day. We knew they were going to make a Fantastic Four movie, but we got a concrete announcement, not in terms of a release date, which we don't have, but Kevin Feige did announce that John Watts is going to be directing Fantastic Four. That name should be familiar to most, if not all of you. John Watts, of course, directed Spider-Man Homecoming, Spider-Man Far From Home, and is currently directing the third Marvel Studios-produced Spider-Man movie, uh, for Sony as well as Disney slash Marvel Studios. So John Watts, I think, has done such a great job on the Spider-Man franchise so far. And I think he's earned this opportunity to uh, move over to Fantastic Four 
as we talked about at the top of uh, our previous episode with the gift that you got of Fantastic Four number one and that poster from that cover of Fantastic Four number one, I mean, this is the franchise that started it all for the Marvel Age of Comics that eventually was able to give birth to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, even though the Fantastic Four are not joining this party until after the Infinity Saga. Historically, these characters are just completely vital in Marvel lore and and, in Marvel history. And so this franchise, I'm so happy that it's that it's back, that it's finally home with Marvel Studios, that Marvel's first family gets to be part of the MCU. And I think they have they've chosen a terrific director. John Watts wasn't necessarily on my short list for Fantastic Four, but that's because he's been directing Spider-Man movies. I wasn't really thinking of him for Fantastic Four. I had other names like D. Reese or Mike Schur, um, who does, of course, a lot more television like Parks and Rec and The Good Place. But I had him on my list of uh, my short list of potential Fantastic Four directors. Um, but I can't argue with the, the selection of John Watts. Great filmmaker who's done a great job with the Spider-Man franchise. And I love the idea of him being able to switch to a new franchise where he can bring some of the warmth for the family side of it that he's been able to deliver in the Spider-Man series while also getting into, and I think this is something that he's probably excited about getting into as well, is just getting into the crazier, more sci-fi, uh, you know, the, the harder-edged sci-fi aspects of Fantastic Four. Uh, I think John Watts is probably going to be excited about delivering all of that. And it, it just felt great to get, like, the animated Marvel Studios Fantastic Four logo during that Disney Investor Day. So, mm. you know, there's still a lot that we need to know and learn about this. Who's going to play the Fantastic Four? My fantasy casting choices are already on the podcast. You can go back in the feed and find that. Uh, we, we've talked about those choices, but I'm still there's so much more that I can't wait to learn about Fantastic Four. But just to get get it in writing, you know, get it in you know in an animated title, uh, in an animated title form with the announcement of a director uh, that already felt like uh, that already felt special. That already felt like history in the MCU for me. Man. I can't believe they ended it with the Fantastic Four announcement and the fact that John Watt was announced to direct the movie. And Sean, maybe I'm just getting really confused with everything. Is John Watt's directing Spider-Man 3, right? Yes. Okay, so make sure I get that right. So what's crazy is that John Watt will now be directing essentially four Mm -hmm. movies for the MCU. That's crazy. I mean... And I he'll be the only individual director to have done that. The Russos did four, but, you know, they're right. They're a team. So he's the only individual director to do four movies. I think one of the things that immediately tells me about the Fantastic Four is that they're they're really going to heavy heavily rely on the the relationship aspect, which, Mm -hmm. again, is what I think needs to happen with the. with obviously with the, with the Fantastic Four, it wasn't emphasized enough in any of the Fantastic Four films. It just was very, it, it tried, it just wasn't always done the greatest. And um, after seeing, you know, his film Cop Car, which is a, a really good indie movie, to be honest. Yeah, it's good. I, it's a, it's really, it's a great, a really, really weird kind of just kind of just unrealistic premise, but actually make, makes it just, it makes for a good movie though. Still regardless. Um, that being said, 
Now, Homecoming is one of my favorite MCU films. I think that is maybe it could be my favorite Spider-Man film. I'm not sh- quite sure. I'm sure I'm still, I need to re- do a massive rewatch of Spider-Man movies. Um, I still have only seen uh, Far From Home twice. I haven't even watched it on home video yet. I need and I need to do it. But that all I say all that to say that I really do like the Spider-Man films a lot. And I think John Watts he gets it. I think he's a a pretty good storyteller to be quite honest. And I think he gets, he gets interpersonal relationships and he gets interaction, human interaction really, really well. I know that sounds weird to say, but he really does. I think he really gets a lot out of his actors. And that's what I'm trying to say by when I watch cop car, even though it's kind of a ridiculous premise, you really feel the emotions of everything. And, 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 and granted he's building tension, a lot of that movie, but it's also the inner, it's also the relationship of all the characters that he's building off of. And I think it's really, um, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not easy, obviously. And with the Spider-Man films, he does a great job of making Peter and his relationships really matter in that movie. When you go and make a fantastic four movie and I, and this is coming from a pretty big fantastic four fan. I've read a lot of fantastic four comic books. I know a lot about the fantastic four and, they are were a book when I, you know, was growing up. I, I read quite often to when I, you know, got back into comics. I pretty much read up until um, James Robinson came on the book and basically was like told he had to stop, you know, he had to run this book into the ground because um, Ike Perlmutter wants to stop, you know, selling toys and everything because of Fox. And then Dan Slott picked it back up. I read it for a while and I was like, I don't know about this and I'll eventually pick it back up. My point is I read a lot of Fantastic Four. And I can tell you, in my opinion, as a big Fantastic Four fan, that you need to rely on the relationships of those characters, and they need you need to feel the emotions of each other. You need to feel the idea that Reed and Sue love each other, that there's a, that, but that also that there's this not just the, between them, but this love of all four of these characters and why they are a family. And and why that 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 Reed feels that he needs to try to help Ben and 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 again he emphasized the idea that he's his best friend. Well, why is he his best friend? You know, and things like that because they're such vastly different characters. And you know, to be honest, Sean, that it's it's hard to display that because you don't you can't always show why. You know, in 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 Trank's movie, you show he tries to do that, and I, I think he tries to do a, a decent job of it. By you know showing you know flashbacks, but to be honest, what you need is you need to have a charisma between the two characters. You need you need to feel the relationship, and this is where I go bring John Watts back into it. That he will help make I think, but with his direction and his and his abilities to get the most out of his actors and actresses, I think that you will feel the relationship really really well and the charisma between the characters of needing to have and understand that. Ben and Reed are best friends. This is why you can see they they feed off each other or whatever, because he'll get the most out of that. And I think that's what what he brings into this film as a great storyteller, but getting the most out of those performances. So um, I think it's a great get, to be honest. I think I, I think it's a safe get. And I think that it's. Um, but at the same time, this is big. And I think that the Fantastic Four, it's about time they are in, you know put into this uh put into the MCU. And I think that they're, I'll, I'll be honest. I think that they're going to be the focal point of the overarching phase, if you will, like they're going to be probably whatever they're going to be building off of. 
it's going to be around the Fantastic Four probably. And I think it's a great thing. I think, and again, if you have, if you're bringing in Kang, there's a lot of different things you could do with that. And I'm excited to what they, what they decided to do. And I think that, um, to be honest, I, I would not be shocked if Kang wouldn't, doesn't, isn't, isn't the next quote unquote Thanos. And I wouldn't be surprised if he is, you know, what the Fantastic Four end up having to uh, defeat because let's be honest, he, he's not necessarily a Fantastic Four villain, I don't want to get into technicality of, you know, you know, what era, whatever. Right. But what I will, what I will say is, is that I think that what Kevin Feige has done and what he, what he could do is say, you know what? King's not really a traditionally a Fantastic Four villain, but I think I'm going to change it up this time. And you know what? As a giant Fantastic Four fan, I would not hate that change because we've already got doom number number of times you don't want to go and even though the, the fantastic four have a plethora of characters and villains to choose from this kind of makes sense in the in the context of things so i i can't i mean i as you can tell i can go on for hours about fantastic four so i'm gonna stop here but this is a big deal I'm extremely excited what we're going to get. And I think John Watts is a extremely uh, talented director and I can't wait to see what he does with these characters. Yeah. I don't know if they'll go with Kang immediately in this one, just because Ant-Man and the Lost quantum mania. I don't know if you go from Kang being the main antagonist in that one to being the main antagonist in this one. Um, but you never know. And certainly you could see the, you could still see Kang going up against the fantastic four, in the MCU. And that has happened in the comic book. So I think it's fair game for Kang to be an antagonist for the FF or the broader MCU. But yes, whatever's going on in the MCU in the next several years to come, I expect the Fantastic Four to be a big, big part of it. I mean, towing a big chunk of the MCU behind them in the Fantastic Car. Like, I think that's what they're going to be doing, not literally. But I think the Fantastic Four will play a pivotal role in the MCU. But it also has me wondering, I mean, with John Watts doing this movie, even before we get to Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania, I mean, is he going to tee himself up in Spider-Man 3 with all the multiverse implications in that movie? Um, it seems like he might be able to. I mean, it seems like even if it's not in the main plot of Spider-Man 3, it kind of feels like a mid or post credit scene sort of thing uh, where John Watts might be, you know, kind of throwing the ball to himself a little bit uh, for Fantastic Four. But I, I do think he's a great choice. I mean, you could say, as you mentioned, Paul, like, yeah, a safe choice because Marvel knows him. And he's already done great work for them. But I think it's also just he's really that good. And he's been so skilled and, and has demonstrated that in the work that he's done so far. And I have every expectation that he'll prove himself to be just as great or getting even better as a filmmaker when we see Spider-Man 3 next year. So I'm really excited about what he could do with Fantastic Four. And it also kind of rings a bell that you know, people were people have kind of locked into or locked onto over the past few weeks, which was back when it looked like Sony and Disney were going to get a divorce over the Spider-Man rights, there was talk of both Sony and Disney Marvel recruiting John Watts, Sony wanting to get him for Spider-Man three, Marvel wanting him for another project. So that other project was probably fantastic Four, and then once Sony and Disney uh, mended that relationship over the Spider-Man rights, it's like, well, now John Watts, you get to do both. Um, either way, it, it works out because I think he I can't wait to see what he does with the Spider-Man franchise. But I also think it's a great next step for him. And I, I don't know if he's going to go back and forth between Fantastic Four and Spider-Man movies. My suspicion is at this point that he's going to 
wrap up a Spider-Man trilogy for himself. Not to say that uh, Tom Holland's Spider-Man is over with Spider-Man 3, but John Watts is finishing up his time with that character and that story uh, with the third Spider-Man film and then moving on, hopefully, to not just one, uh, but many or a trilogy of Fantastic Four films or four Fantastic Four films. Why not? Um, But yeah, John Watts has been so great. And I'm so excited for him to be the one helming Fantastic Four. And really, more than anything, it's just kind of the the symbolism of that moment of, you know, the Fantastic Four, the first family is finally home and they are on the way. Uh, and we're going to be seeing them very, very soon with that logo, with the John Watts news, just to have it be officially official. Now I just can't wait for a cast and an official release date. Those are kind of the only last things I need. I mean, obviously, I'll consume everything they give me, posters, trailers, stills, whatever. Um, but yeah, a couple steps, uh, significant steps still uh, out there for this movie. But what we had so far, uh, as I said, it was it felt like a big deal to me uh, to close out Marvel's presentation, which was pretty much the end of in them closing out uh, the Disney Investor Day. So kind of some financials and other things that followed. But yeah, Feige really brought it home with that uh, and brought the first family home with that announcement. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the investor day cannot wait for fantastic four uh, i know we skipped over guardians of the galaxy volume three uh we don't really have anything new on that just confirming that it will be in 2023 um it actually is on disney's slate uh well i don't know if actually disney put it on that slate but anyway james gunn did mention separately that it would be out in 2023 following the holiday special in 2022 um so you can just go back and hear what we talked about in the holiday special and other things for guardians three uh, that we've speculated on uh, ever since Endgame. But we'll talk more about that as we get more information and it gets closer. Uh, but that is where we will finally, finally wrap up all of our coverage <laughs> from Disney Investor Day 2020. Ridiculous. I don't know how many hours this uh, adds up to, uh, but if you were here for all of it, thank you. And if you were here yes. for only some of it, thanks. Um, yeah. But uh, while I'm expressing gratitude, I might as well thank you. I might as well thank. Uh, Ryan M, Tim C, Noah S, Nick R, and Erica F uh, for being some of the patrons that we have over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R. That is where we have exclusive podcasts that are not available anywhere else, like Fanshow Plus, which has spoiler reviews of The Mandalorian. We have previous episodes where we did, uh, we've talked about comics on the Marvel Unlimited Book Club. Uh, but we also have the Marvelous Moments series where I break down some of the best moments, most iconic moments, most meaningful moments for whatever reason in the MCU and all kinds of other exclusive shows and an exclusive Discord community that we have through the Patreon. And if you do sign up and get exclusive audio, you could put a private RSS link in a podcatcher like Apple Podcasts so you get everything uh, in one feed. So for more information on all that we have available and all the exclusives that we have, please visit patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. And then just make sure you're following us in all the places that you can at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter, aka Thug at Herman22. Also find me on my podcast at Binge Comic or the Comic Binge Podcast. But we're at Binge Comic on Twitter. And then you can also find me on my Star Wars podcast with my good friends Cal Avery and Tim Jurassi at the saga continues where we cover a lot of star Wars material. So yeah, check me out on there. And in the unlikely event that you would like to follow me, you can do so at Mr. Sean Gerber on Twitter and Instagram. So for Paul, for MCU fan show, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.